the country is is being destroyed without a single bullet being shot. So there are no democracies. No. Because if there were, we wouldn't have had all the lockdowns. Here in South Africa, during lockdown, we weren't allowed to buy fried chicken. I'm not joking. <laughs> Sustainable development is essentially the centralization of the entire world. Amsterdam is a beautiful city. It's perfect for a 15-minute city. It doesn't even realize that it set itself up. Saying, saying anti-Semite is the same thing as calling somebody a racist. What's going on in the Middle East is the result of authoritarians who are creating conflict where there, where there doesn't necessarily need to be conflict. I never thought the day would come, right, that I'm going to sit down at my laptop and type in, <laughs> is Earth flat? <laughs> and then you end up finding all these weird people who are actually amazing people. I don't want to say simulation, but I think David Icke has a point because to some degree, a lot of the stuff is just way too well planned. Because if you say that everything is by design, you're, you're completely removing the idea of human nature. Human nature is what's keeping us free. Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of The Truman Show from South Africa. This time in Stellenbosch, we're standing right in front of the wine farm called Spear, uh, where I recorded a podcast with Jeremy Nell, aka Germ Warfare. And I think it's a really great podcast uh, because we talked a lot about South Africa, about how his life has been up till now, his career as a cartoonist, working for the mainstream media, making a change to the alternative media. And yeah, talking about all this journalist work about how he views the world, what's going on at this moment, what's going on in Europe, what's going on in South Africa, and how we can learn from all those differences and comparisons as well. So I hope you will enjoy this podcast, but before you're going to watch it or listen to it, please subscribe to the channel where you're watching or listening, Spotify, YouTube, all subscriptions really help. Please share the podcast on your social media or share it with your friends. And on thetrumanshow.com, you can do a financial donation, which obviously also helps us uh, making this podcast. So for now, I really hope you enjoy and uh, please enjoy the podcast. Jeremy, thanks for having us, man. In uh, South Africa, in Stellenbosch. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for visiting my side of the pond. Yeah, man. How are you doing? I am hot, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> man. Yeah. You brought, you brought the good weather with you. Luckily, because in the Netherlands it's winter and I thought, pic uh, saw pictures online with people ice skating and stuff. So it's... Uh, in the Netherlands? Yeah. I just missed it. Yeah. I was just there a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was this year a bit late getting cold, but it was really cold the last couple of weeks. I think I'm um, already here since. Uh, I don't know what even know what snow looks like. We don't, <laughs> we don't get that here. Not at all, right? Little bit, like in some parts of the on country, the mountains. down here, yeah, on top of the mountain. Yeah. So um, maybe because I think a lot of our guests and viewers, uh, a lot of our viewers, they they know who you are, but maybe uh, we can do a quick introduction for the people who don't really know. Um, because like if you go to your Wikipedia, I think it's always funny to look at people's <laughs> Wikipedia pages. I've got a good story about my Wikipedia page, actually. Tell me. I um, <clears throat> excuse me. I uh, I know that it's complete garbage. Like most of it, it's just fake news, right? But I don't care about Wikipedia. Uh, so what I did was a few times I've asked uh, people to go onto my page and just like really make it rubbish. Yeah. Like just. Say anything and see how long it sticks because 
the way Wikipedia works is that if something stays for a few days, then it'll probably stay for a few days more and after that a few weeks more and then eventually you can get it to stick. And so people were going on there saying that I've, uh, I've, uh, what, um, I've, uh, I've gone from a, from a male to a female, uh, Jeremina, and, uh, and all sorts of stuff. But of course it's all been changed back. Yeah. And then I think for a while they locked the page and now there's like some sort of semi-lock on it. So <laughs> people can't change it anymore. I just want people to troll Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone can go visit your page and try to change it. Now, yes, right? yeah. I absolutely approve of that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, like one of the things that I read on that page, which is probably true, is that you had like a big Facebook page, which mm. got removed by mm. Facebook, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it wasn't massive. I think I had about 60,000 fans and... Um, yeah, uh, Facebook took it down. Um, they, gave, they gave me a few warnings and I couldn't... The problem with, with social media like Facebook is they don't tell you what you're doing wrong. Mm. So you don't know. No. They just say you have violated community guidelines or something to that effect. Yeah. But you don't actually know what it is. And they just kept on giving me these warnings and they took down the page. Cheers. It's funny eh, how they, they can control almost everything on, on that way. I, I mean, I've got some Spotify removed, some of my podcasts, YouTube removed some of my podcasts as well. And then in YouTube, at least they tell you it's medical misinformation, but what exactly yes, they yes. don't tell you, but it's always medical misinformation. Um, I like that though, because that means that you're on, you actually are on the right path. It is, yeah. And I even once I managed to get one back, I did a podcast with uh, Rainer Fumig. It was a, the, the German lawyer who was trying to, mm. yeah, in the beginning of COVID, really try to, to do something about it. Um, I released a podcast with him. They removed it after a day. And I was so fucking angry with YouTube. So they were like misinf medical misinformation. I was like, this is censorship. And I was like, because you can uh, appeal against what, what they're doing, mm. right? So I, I was, yeah, so this is this bullshit. This is... Um, um, you have you have to give the video you have to give the podcast back because it's censorship and I'm not accepting it. And then two hours later, they put they posted the the podcast back online. What? So I was like, what? So I, I was just because I was like, okay, it's gone, and I'm just reacting my ang my anger out of and then just well, yeah. And they gave back the podcast at a certain point, and I was like, oh, it's okay, that's weird. And now a month ago, they removed it again after two years. YouTube, yeah. Uh, well, YouTube took down my channel. The whole channel? Mm. Oh, jeez. So I don't have a YouTube channel at all. I've got no YouTube presence. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I, and Spotify also banned me. So, totally banned you? Yeah. So they banned me They banned me the, for the first time, I think, in 2021. And um, I was able to appeal. Uh, and, uh, and they don't tell you for what either, right? They just, same thing, violated community guidelines or whatever. Uh, they allowed my appeal. And a month later, my podcast reappeared on Spotify. And then a few months later, gone. Like that, taken down and no, op no chance to appeal. So it's permanent ban. Jeez. And funny, funnily enough, and I don't know if it's because of this particular podcast or if it's just coincidental, but immediately after, <laughs> immediately after I did a podcast about <laughs> whether or not Earth is flat, that, that podcast. Really? Yeah. Because the things that I noticed, I, I did some uh, flat Earth stuff as well, and actually the the um, the podcast I, which I love are, the topic. Yeah, jeez, mm. man, it's so fun. Mm. 
it's so fun because uh, one thing is for sure we we are not living on like the yeah. the, the the thing that's presented us. Eh, I don't know what it is. Different, like if it's flat, if it's I don't know, but it's not the this the, no. no. But just so, so you're saying, so what happened? Um, so like on flat Earth, nothing. The only things which always causes trouble is uh, vaccines mm. and the whole COVID story. Yeah, yeah, vaccines. Uh, well, and uh, uh, a topic. A, a particular event that happened during World War II that that you may not talk about. Yep, true. So that that plus vaccines. Yeah, and COVID years. And COVID, yeah. How did it? How did this all started for you? Because like uh, for me, I, it, it was a, a super obvious event. With like, I was I owned a uh, couple of uh, companies in the dance scene, so um, COVID hit, and then everything was gone. So that. Gave me the opportunity to research and then. Did you say in the dance scene? Yeah. As in like dance music, like like techno? Techno, yeah. Are you a man? <laughs> I was in techno, yeah, man. Is that still a thing? It's a huge in the Netherlands. I thought that died in the 90s. Jeez, it's huge in the Netherlands. Festivals, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 people. Yeah, really, yeah. I thought we moved on from that, like grunge, and like left it behind. No, no, no. It's one of our biggest <laughs> export products in the Netherlands. <laughs> it is. Dance techno. I remember things like um, Deep House. Yeah. And, uh, well, I must be honest, I did enjoy sort of breakbeat uh, drum and bass stuff. I was very big into The Prodigy. Oh yeah, love that type of stuff. I don't know what you call that. I mean, is that what is that? It's not techno. No, I don't, it's I don't know not. what that is, but it's, it's electronic. Remember Chemical Brothers? Yeah, awesome. I was, I was into that. Yeah, yeah. Sheesh. But now it's it's We're it's going back big. a few years. Back a few years. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No worries, no worries, man. Um, but for me, it was like a, a super obvious event which triggered everything to researching and doing the podcast. Yeah. And then, how how was it for you? Because you were a cartoonist. Yes. Yes. So. My story is very bland. Uh, I was essentially a professional cartoonist since 2005. Um, let's go back even a bit further than that. I'm a varsity dropout. Um, so I, I, went, I went to university <laughs> and I studied art and I failed art. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> How do you fail art? Right? Who fails art? Well, they, anyway, I failed art. And then and they said, no, you, you're not good enough. You can't become an artist. And uh, and so I became an artist. Um, so <laughs> to prove them wrong. <laughs> so, but but not ex- but not exactly immediately after I failed. I kind of went into uh, the corporate world. Found a, I just found like some random job that was in sort of mobile technology. Um, and at that stage, there was no smartphone. Right. So Apple, you know, the iPhone hadn't really hit the market. It was still phones. Yeah. With buttons and you'd flip them open. Remember mm. those? Yeah, I think sure. that was Sony Ericsson and mm, and yeah. whatever. Nokia. Yeah, it? Nokia. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I was sort of working in the sort of mobile technology sector um, in a cubicle type job mm. for a few years and sitting in traffic you know, in and out of te- you know into the city and all that. And uh, and then I decided. I've always loved cartoons. Like I've always loved cartoons. I, as a kid, I would draw in my Bible in Sunday school, and I would get up on Saturday mornings to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And so I've always, I've always had a. I will love cartoons until I'm old and you know grey. You know, I'm already halfway there. And um, and I, I particularly like you know the old fashioned cartoons from the 1970s and whatnot. Everybody loves Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny and Pink Panther and Asterix and all the all the greats when they were still politically incorrect and they could make jokes that you can't do today. 
Um, and so I remember in 2005, I decided I wanted to become a cartoonist. I just really enjoyed drawing at night and whenever I could and I'd scan and I'd created a really, really basic website and I would upload it there and send the link to my friends and like, yeah, that's great. I can't wait for your next, your next comic strip, you know, next week and all that. And so that's what I did. And, um, and I started enjoying that and I thought, well, what if I, what if I send this to a newspaper? Maybe they'll publish it. And that's what I attempted to do. And so around 2000, late 2005, I started sending my stuff out to newspapers here in South Africa and um, until somebody would bite. And then eventually one, one newspaper did bite. And for me, that was just the greatest thing. Now, at this stage, I was not making really any money. Right? I, I just kind of left the corporate world. I got retrenched. Uh, because what happened at that stage was smartphones were starting to enter the market. So the whole, the whole, there was a whole shift in the way cell phones were, were or the technology was changing. Um, and I was very bored. And so I spent the next couple of years just drawing these, these comic strips and submitting them to newspapers and bit by bit more newspapers would, you know, would, would publish them. And for, for me, that was a lot of fun. And then in 2007, if, I, if, if I'm boring, just let me know. No, no, no. And then in 2007, was where my first major opportunity occurred. So it was about two years, more or less two years after I started drawing professionally, if you can say that. Uh, and um, an, an editor of a very, very big newspaper here um, contacted me and he said, look, uh, somebody's been sending emails around with jokes in them. And uh, I, saw, I saw some comic strips in there and I saw your name on the side and I found your details. Would you like to draw for, for our paper? Like, okay, great. And that's what I did and it was daily and it was... This for me now was was just it was the breakthrough, and then maybe about a year later, because uh, it was still just random humor. It wasn't political, and I had no political ideology at all, anything like that. And and he sent me an email, and he said, "Listen, have you tried have you tried political commentary? You know, you you have an opportunity. You're drawing for us. What if you attempted to make some some comments about what's going on in, in the current affairs?" And I I said to him, "I I really." don't know what to even say. And he said, well, and, the, and I've never forgotten this. He said, um, knock them down when they're up and lift them up when they're down. And that's such great advice. And I've, <laughs> and I've never forgotten that because think about it, it's good. It's good yeah. advice. Yeah. You know, you, you, if, they're, if they're too arrogant and too high up the food chain, certainly punch up, you yeah. know, bring them down to, to, to grassroots level. But then don't go after them when you're already done. Yeah, you don't you don't kick a dog when it's down necessarily. Yeah. It depends on the dog. If it's Klaus Schwab, I'll happily keep kicking. Toppers, hier een kleine onderbreking. En zoals jullie weten, in drie jaar lang de Truman Show onderbreken wij het eigenlijk nooit. Maar hier toch een kleine onderbreking met iets wat ik super super belangrijk vind en waar we heel hard aan werken. Want, lieve vrienden, de Truman Show komt naar jullie toe. Wij gaan de theaters in, in Nederland en België. En wel met het thema De Weg naar Vrijheid. Ik ben er super blij mee. Ik kijk er onwijs naar uit om jullie eindelijk allemaal te gaan ontmoeten. Dat de gasten jullie gaan ontmoeten en dat we er gewoon één groot feestje van gaan maken. Kijk even naar het filmpje en ik hoop jullie allemaal snel te zien. En verder heel veel plezier met het verder kijken van deze podcast. Al twee jaar lang vragen jullie ons of wij ook iets bij jullie in de buurt kunnen organiseren. En dit wordt nu eindelijk werkelijkheid. De Troemer Show gaat op tour, lieve vrienden. En in de maanden februari, maart en april zijn we te zien door de theaters in Nederland. En dat betekent dus ook naar de theaters bij jou in de buurt. 
Samen met de inspirerende gasten van de Truman Show zullen we de weg naar vrijheid met elkaar gaan onderzoeken. Dit betekent een live podcast met de allerbeste gasten van dit moment. En uiteindelijk ook een Q&A waarin je de gelegenheid krijgt om vragen te stellen aan mij en de gast. Want wat betekent vrijheid nou voor jou en hoe kunnen we ervoor nou zorgen dat we samen vrijer kunnen leven? Door het samenbrengen van ieders individuele reis leggen we de puzzelstukjes samen. En verwacht daarom ook een avond waar je geïnspireerd raakt en waar verbinding met gelijkgestemden centraal staat. Samen lopen we de weg naar vrijheid en ik hoop jullie allemaal daar te zien, want we gaan er echt een feestje van maken. Ja, yeah, you don't kick a dog when it's down, necessarily. Yeah. It depends on the dog. If it's Klaus Schwab, I'll happily keep kicking. <laughs> you, know, you know, if it's Bill Gates, I'll, I'll get my friends to come help me kick him. Yeah. But... And I've never forgotten that. And that, that, that advice stuck with me. And, and so then a few years passed and I started becoming very politically driven. Um, and then I started being entered into big national competitions and all sorts of stuff. And then in 20, I think 2011, I won my first major award, the biggest award you can win in, in this country. Um, and it ironically falls under journalism and I'm not a journalist. Mm. But I nevertheless won and I had no idea that I would win. It was amazing. I was you know, the awards happened in Johannesburg and all that. And, um, and then I was, I kind of got acc accolades and more sort of, sort of um, lesser awards over the following years. And then I published my first book, I think in 2013 uh, with, with Penguin. And then again in 2014, and then my life took a big dip in, in that, in that phase between like 2014 and 2016, I suppose. Um, for a few years, it was a very, very difficult time, just on a personal level. Um, very dark place, and um, it was, you know, personal things that w that were happening. And then, uh, uh, my life changed for the better, you know, and I kind of got back on on the horse, as it were. Um, and uh, I, I said that in twenty seven, in in two thousand and seven, I had a big moment with the newspaper. So 2016 was another kind of big year for me. Um, I now was in a relationship with, with now my current wife, my current wife, my wife, <laughs> my, my current wife. Yeah, and then I've you know I've got another wife coming later on. You know, um, we 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 lived in a little seaside town um, called Mossel Bay. Mm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, little seaside town, and there there's where I had a, like a what you would call a Damascus moment. Uh, where I kind of reevaluated, like where I am politically, where I am ideologically, culturally, everything, um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful time. And that was when I then got like really aggressive about where I was going to go forward with my life, you know. And and I started I started becoming more independent at that stage because I was now becoming very, very, oh. Not very, but I was becoming awake to mainstream media, establishment media, and how how controlled it is, mm. and how and, and you were working for them at the time. I was very yeah. much so, but I started bit by bit finding roads out and finding new independent um, ways to obviously make money, but by drawing you know political satire. And at, for a long time, um, I was you know having a tug of war with with editors and mainstream and and all that sort of stuff. And then in 2019, um, I became almost fully independent. Uh, I kind of I had one or two newspapers and publications for whom I was still drawing, uh, but I was now mostly being funded independently from sm much smaller 
uh, operations, projects, organizations, whatever. And then I decided, I'm getting a little bit bored. I also want to chat about the ideas in my cartoons with, with actual people. And then I, you know, I started a, a really crappy podcast. I didn't have the, I didn't have all this kind of equipment. And, um, you know, and then I, I found myself enjoying it. And I found that it was helping me think about ideas for my cartoon work. And, uh, and so they were kind of feeding into each other. And it wasn't regular. It was like once a week or once every two weeks or whatever. And then the whole COVID story occurred in 2020. And then I kind of realized, well, now I'm locked down in my home. So let me do it more regularly. Mm. And then I started buying better gear and started becoming more professional, so to speak. And then started getting better guests. And that's where we end up now. With, with now I've got a regular podcast with millions of downloads. Uh, my, my cartoon work is a lot less frequent than what it was, but it's, 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 I think that it's in a much better place now because mm. it's fully independent. So I can draw, I can draw what I like. Yeah. Um, so the quality for me is higher than trying to churn out something every single day. I can now spend a bit more time, so I'd maybe draw twice a week. Um, and, and then in 2022, I think, I was approached by TNT Radio, which was a result kind of of all the lockdowns and all this, this garbage that's going on. Because the alternative media space, as you know, mm. has been growing. Yeah, and it's a good thing, as a result, yes, yeah. as a result of of everybody waking up to the to the nonsense that's coming out of the establishment and the yeah. mainstream. And so, so now I essentially host a daily talk show on on TNT. I do my podcast like twice a week or three times a week and I draw my cartoons like twice a week or so. And that's a great place to be and that's where I am right now. Nice. Did your cartoons become more, because they were always in a sense quite controversial, eh? like because you were always trying, that's what I believe when I, when, I, when I look at them and I don't understand them all because they're obviously also about South African politics and stuff. But they were, they were also always kind of controversial, right? But do you think they became more and more controversial the last three years, even so controversial that the mainstream didn't like them anymore because they were too much anti-establishment maybe? Yes, absolutely. Um, the, COVID, the COVID era is, is a weird, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it harmed a lot of people. And I don't mean the, the fake, the fake um, pathogen story. I mean what happened, everything around it. The lockdowns. You know, the lockdowns the, and all yeah. that nonsense. Um, it was very, 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 very destructive. Um, but the silver lining is that it caused a lot of people to open their eyes and, uh, and it also forced a lot of people to reevaluate, to rethink what they think they know. Mm. I believe very little of what I believed in 2018, 2019. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like the world's different ball game. Like 2020 is almost like the year, the year zero. Yeah. And everything's, everything restarts. Yeah. The great reset as it were. Okay. But like that for me is like a proper reset because I start looking at, at things differently. Um, and then you, you, you find yourself questioning everything, like everything, you know, everything you thought you knew, like whether it's, um, I don't know, earth, you know, being, being round or flat. I mean, I never thought, I never thought the day would come. <laughs> I never thought the day would come, right? That I'm going to sit down at my laptop and type in, <laughs> is earth flat? <laughs> <laughs> and I found myself typing that and I can't tell you why I found myself typing that. 
but that's what I did. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then you end up finding all these weird people who are actually amazing people. And I don't I don't know what I believe. I know that NASA is 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 full of full of theater. I understand that. And I'm not going to say I think Earth is flat because I, I struggle also with that yeah, with that too. claim. Mm. But I certainly no longer blindly trust what I'm told. Yeah. Okay. And I have no reason to trust. And I don't think anybody should blindly trust, right? No. But but then you you type in stuff like, well, do viruses exist or did the dinosaurs exist? Yeah. And you you end up asking the questions that you never in your life thought you would ask. Yeah. But what's funny to me is I don't find that offensive at all. Like no. a lot of people think, oh, well, you're just a you're just a nutcase. Oh, that's okay. You know what's funny though? Is I'm in the best place psychologically, mentally, and uh, to some degree physically that I've ever in my life been. Mm. All right, so I'm a, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit out of shape because I, I haven't gymmed for like a year. I'm, that's all going to change. I love I love getting in the gym. It's a great great way to de-stress. Right? It's just it's just a matter of you need to get the motivation. I don't know if you if you gym or whatever, but martial arts. Yeah. Yeah, martial arts exactly. But yeah. but if you if you fall out of the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've you got to find yourself yep. back into that rhythm. Yeah. So that's that's my one that's my one weakness. It's just finding my rhythm to get into the gym. And also at the moment it's extremely hot. Yeah. So it's difficult. And I don't go to a gym. I have my own. Oh yeah. I've got my own like sort of prison style. But that makes it even harder to do it. Yeah, I think. But it, I do. But I do my own deadlifts and my own bench press and all that. Yeah. Um, and I in my garage because I don't want to go to the gym because it's just too much. It's too much of an effort. Yeah. Um, and I like just walking into into my own my own space like that. Anyway, the point is, I eat better. I take no pharmaceuticals at all for just about anything. I mean, I was on on drugs in 2020. I was on antidepressants and all sorts of other oh, stuff. Shoot. And I, and I yeah. I was in a very dark place because the whole the whole COVID thing really really upset me, mm. and I let it I let it eat me up. Yeah, a lot of people didn't it didn't eat up, but I just looked at this and I thought this makes no sense. The whole thing, how can the whole world get locked down just coincidentally? Oh no, but you see, Germ, um, the governments the governments are just they're looking out for us. They uh, they don't they don't want this deadly virus to spread. Okay, when in history. Has the entire world been locked down? The only the only time I know that any country has locked its citizens down, I think, is the Netherlands, and I think that was in World War II. Um, and I think that was a war. It was a, a, a response to the war. I think I might have it wrong, and and you're welcome to double check me. But I think there was some sort of lockdown. Well, they had the. Um, I don't know if you had that in South Africa as well, but in the Netherlands, you no, you were even way way worse than it was in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, you had at a certain point that you weren't allowed to go on the street after like 8 p.m. or so. Um, yeah. Also. Yeah. We weren't allowed to go out after 10. Okay. Yeah. All right. And we weren't allowed to buy. I kid you not. Here in South Africa during lockdown, we weren't allowed to buy fried chicken. We weren't allowed to buy open shoes. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's insane. Eh? And and when I say fried chicken, I mean cooked chicken. You were, we weren't allowed to buy pre-made yeah. chicken. Mm. All right. I, I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah. We they had these they they had um they sealed off um I think like tools for your garage like. Yeah. Like um, a drill or that sort of stuff. We weren't allowed to buy those things. But you know what the fun? Which uh, I'm I'm asking myself this question a lot. That because South Africa, I mean, for the people who who never been, it's it's obviously like it's 
it's an awesome country, but it's also just a weird country in, in many ways. Like yes. it's, it's an extreme country, extreme this, extreme that. Everything is extreme, I find, in South Africa. Um, yes, it's not just middle of the road, nothing. Like, like Europe. Nothing. Nature, like everything is harsh. Everything is mm. real, right? That's what I always believe when I um, feel when I come to South Africa. But so what, what you also have, you're like a lot of people living in townships here, right? Yeah. And what I thought is because... For instance, Kalicha with the, the big the township in, in near Cape Town, mm. two and a half million people living there. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I, I don't even believe that they really know how many, but at least two and a half million, so mm. a lot. Like, the the government has not nothing to say there, right? Like lockdowns and stuff. Like, how how were how you locked? They weren't locked down. No, exactly. How can you lock down eight you people can't. in a shack? No, okay. So you're, you're correct completely about South Africa being extremes. It really is. Uh, th- there are pros and cons to that. Um, the, you know, you have extremes where you have very rich people and you have very poor people. But you also have extremes in the sense that the government thinks that it's a lot more effective than what it really is. It's very inept. It's very useless. And it really didn't lock down most of the country. People, as you mentioned, in Kailicha and and pretty much most of the township areas around the country, they didn't care at all. They just—they all live on top of one another, yeah. right? So if there were, if there really were a deadly virus, they all would be dead now. <laughs> yeah, but the virus is clearly racist because it didn't—it didn't—it didn't go anywhere near them, right? They didn't wear masks. They didn't socially distance because they can't. Uh, and um, and they just carried on with life. The people who who complied the most are the middle classes, the middle to upper classes. Yeah, um, and I think that's something you you would see around the world. Yeah. But the people on the on the extreme uh, poverty side of things just really didn't care. Um, I'm not sure about the super rich; uh, they probably didn't lock down either. No. Anyway, but um, th- so for me, the thing is that the extremes is quite nice because because then you can move. You've got a lot more space within which to move. Mm. Um, you know, it it comes with its downsides also. Uh, that's why, I mean, in that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Blood Diamond, it's a great movie. It's a little bit sensationalized, but it's a great movie and it kind of gives you a good idea to some degree of what it's like to live in Africa. He says that line, TIA, this is Africa. Mm. And it's a, it's a profound statement because there is a harshness about living on this continent. It's not, it's not for, the, for the faint-hearted. No. It is very different, and it's difficult to explain. Also, if you've never been here, um, I guess to some degree it's it's like trying to explain living in India if you've never been there. It's also, I think, pretty extreme in many ways. But it is different. Yeah, it's 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 lots of empty space, or and then lots of clusters of people, like you just mentioned in the townships, and then also wildlife, um, it, heavy heavy um, temperature changes, um, and lots of chaos. Yeah, you know, lots of chaos, and you have to kind of navigate all of that. And things are broken, and things don't work properly. But there's also there's also a magic about that. And if you aren't used to it, you know, you'll excuse me, you'll you'll struggle. I told you I was in Amsterdam a few months ago. And I was on your side of the pond. Everything works. It's amazing. Everything works. It's fluid. And the buses are on time. Here we hardly have buses. Um, the trams work, everything is great. But I think that also can lead to laziness. Mm. And I think it can lead to complacency. Yeah. And it can lead to compliance. 
because you you, you start thinking less. Uh, you, bec- you you realize that the state is doing everything, and uh, and so you can start becoming distracted from things that matter mm. um, because there's no need to think. And I mean, and also hyper individualist. Yeah, hyper individualistic societies like that, I think they degenerate. Yeah, you know when you see everybody walking around with these things on their head. Yeah, in the in the city, I think that's a problem. Mm. There's a there's a dis, there's a disconnect that's being encouraged, and when everything is smooth flowing, when everything works, that's what happens. Um, you you lose a sense of of community, and I think culture takes a knock also on top of that. So I think, I think in many ways you have to kind of you have to weigh up the pros and the cons of the extremities that you talk about. And you, have to, you also have to figure out to you what are the things that matter? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are the things you're willing to gain? Um, I, I wouldn't move from here. Despite all the, all the, the chaos and, and the crime and everything, it's still my home. And I know how it, I know how it works. And so I'm happy in that, in that kind of space. That's it. There, you should like if you know how it works. Yeah. Because we, like a lot of people, that's also what I what I think about South Africa and and being here back. Um, but also like people judge a lot, especially people from like the Western countries, the mm. Netherlands and other countries. They judge all those other countries. They, when I came back from Asia as well, I told a lot of people like it's oh man, it's so you still have a sense of freedom in those countries because everything is shit. Yeah. And yeah, well, there's, there's a correlation between chaos and freedom. Yeah. So, for example, I've got friends in Canada who want to come back here. Um, they, you know, they, they emigrated and kind of, they don't like the fact that they're in Canada anymore because it's, it's too well-governed. Over-regulated. Over-regulated. Yeah. And the problem is when it's, when it's so efficient, everybody injects themselves with an mRNA jab. <laughs> You know, because everything's centralized, and if you don't do that, you struggle to earn an income. Yeah. Here, we, because everything is broken, everything therefore is decentralized, and so you can get a speeding fine here, and it doesn't really matter because it doesn't affect anything else in your life. Um, you, they can't clamp down on anything. They can't force you to to get you know the jab. Um, they couldn't lock down half the country. They can't enforce so much stuff. So you end up with more freedom. You can speak more freely here than you can, without a doubt, in Europe. Mm. There are too many restrictions on speech that are occurring from from a from a from a from a, um, a tightly centralized system that that is part of the technocratic agenda. By the way, mm, yeah. it's, it's part of Agenda Twenty Thirty. It's part of sustainable development. This is what the EU is about. It's about it's about removing the sovereignty of the nation states um, right across Europe. It's about destroying the tradition, the heritage, the culture, um, and creating one gray zombie mass yeah. that blindly complies uh, and just says yes. I think it sucks that you have no borders. You know, you could just drive between countries. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with that. Um, and it allows, then it allows the inverse for people just to come in, which we know is happening in Europe. Mm. America's much the same. I mean, Yuri Bezmanov, former KGB operative, said in an interview in 19, ironically, 1984 uh, with uh, G. Edward Griffin. You must watch that interview if you haven't. Great interview. I think it's on, might be on YouTube, but it's definitely on Odyssey. 
And he said, back then already, 1984, he said, America's shot. He said, the country is, is being destroyed without a single bullet being shot. And uh, it's a profound, profound thought. Mm. And that's what happens when, when you allow technocratic agendas, when you allow globalist agendas to infiltrate at all the, 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 the higher levels of, of governance and, and, and corporate life. You have way too much centralization, way too much state control. And what invariably happens is that you say, oh, democracy, democracy. No, it's a farce. There are no democracies. There aren't any. No. Because if there were, we wouldn't have had all the lockdowns, all right? Uh, so we are living in a very kind of theatrical, um, I don't want to say simulation because it sounds a bit too, too digital, but I think David Icke has a point yeah. when he says that there is a simulation, we are in a simulation because to some degree, a lot of the stuff is just way too well planned. Yeah. A lot of it is by emergence and I think a lot of it is accidental. Um, but how do you go from COVID to Ukraine to Gaza? Also beautifully lined up. Mm. Imagine if, Ukraine and Gaza happen at the same time. Like nobody would know which which emoji to use in their in their status. Like I don't know, dude. Like, cheers. Like yeah, which one do I stand with? You know, okay, I stand with both Ukraine and Israel. You know, and there's my little emoji. You know, um, no, they they were, so so. I don't know how. I don't know if it's if it's if it's purely by design or if it's a combination of emergence. But the point is, is that Ukraine ended COVID. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. It ended, it ended COVID. No, and nobody remembers COVID anymore. It's like back in, it's like now it's 90s now, you know. And then Ukraine was not going very well for the West. America was just losing completely. Putin is just ahead, he's a, he's a good chess player. And so, so then suddenly the tension got diverted to, to Gaza. Um, and I don't know where that's going to go. Disease X, that might be the next big one. But it's this, con- it's this, it's this constant permafear like permanent fear. Mm. And that keeps people um, compliant. It keeps people uh, in a state of perpetual anxiety, as Matthias Desmond said, says, uh, you know, if you've got free-floating anxiety, you've got people then more willing to latch onto one another yeah. and then basically become in many ways totalitarian themselves, which yeah, is yeah. precisely why you have your neighbor reporting you for walking yeah. your dog Sheesh, during lockdown. yeah. You know, they, they report they, re, they would report us for driving at half past ten at night when the curfew was ten o'clock. How how can you talk even about a curfew in the modern world? Yeah, you know. Um, so what I was saying is is that you've got this you've got this technocratic infiltration that's happening. In many ways, it's a combination of not just communism, but it's a, it's 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 technology science. And communism and central control—it's a whole pile of things. That's the beauty of technocracy. Yeah, it's a whole pile of things. It's not one thing, but it's ultimately top-down central control. Yeah, and a lot of that is happening through centralized frameworks, and that's why America is imploding. That's why Europe is imploding because they're they're allowing it. Now coming but back to Africa, you, yeah, exactly. Don't you? How, how? Well, in Africa, it's not working that well because because the systems are so broken. Everything's chaotic and broken. Um, they can try to some degree, but it's, as DiCaprio said in the movie, this is Africa. They're going to struggle. Africa will, will, will probably outlast 
a lot of the first world in terms of the the technocratic agendas that are that are trying to be imposed. Even though mm. the ANC is still just as uh, WF uh, yeah. In, yeah infiltrated as mm. uh, right yeah. I mean the the ANC is completely useless. But that's a good thing. Yeah. I would much rather have a completely useless government than a highly efficient government. I don't want the Trudeau government here because then it goes back to what I just said. Yeah. You end up with, with, a, with, a better, with a better managed centralized system. Also what I really like is that, that it's, it's so obvious corrupt, like the ANC and everyone mm. working there. It's, it's so up with the load shedding, Ramaphosa coming into Cape Town yeah. and no load shedding all of a sudden anymore. It's so like well, it's because, <laughs> in your face. Because that, people often, I, so, okay. people often think that the fact that we've got roading blackouts um, you said load shedding. That's a term that I think only we use. I don't know of any other country that says load shedding. Um, so I'll say rolling blackouts so that people who aren't South African know what I'm talking about. Um, because that maybe, people, I think that you, yeah. true, maybe a lot of viewers listeners, they don't even know that South Africa has like, they control the, the yeah. electricity. We have a centralized, centralized electric, electricity grid. Yes, that's quite correct. Um, but yes, the thing. People often think that the reason why we have rolling blackouts is purely because the government is is useless. Well, no, our government is a lot more efficient, funnily enough, than a lot of other African countries. That's why we are the most powerful economy on the continent. Uh, not sorry, not because of the government, but we have a powerful economy in African terms. But our government is a is a bit better than say Malawi or Rwanda or Uganda or whatever, right? Um, now, people think that it's just the ANC that's, that's causing our rolling blackouts. I beg to differ. There's, there is evidence to show that there is infiltration from, again, foreign interests, technocratic interests, sustainable development interests. Mm -hmm. People keep forgetting this. The biggest agenda in the world is sustainable development. There's nothing bigger than that, that we know of. Okay, so sustainable development is the UN framework, which basically is Agenda 2030. It's the Great Reset. It's the New World Order. It's the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's all those terms that pe different people use. It's all the same thing. Mm. Sustainable development is essentially the centralization of the entire world. It's putting all countries into, into a central governance structure. Uh, so a one world government of sorts, But when they say one world government, um, I, I like um, Ian Davis's argument. It's not one world government, but one world governance. Mm. So you create frameworks within which everybody agrees. Yeah, just That's, like the European Union, actually. Correct. Yeah. So you, you've got Germany and you've got France, which are separate countries, yeah. but they basically listen to the EU because the EU is now essentially the government. Yeah. Now, sustainable development is, is, is the biggest framework in my mind. The biggest actual tangible vector towards sustainable development is climate change. There's nothing bigger than that, right? It's the biggest crisis. And I'm not saying it is a crisis. It's what they're saying is a crisis. In my view, there is no crisis. The climate changes and, and humans have absolutely negligible impact on the temperature of Earth, right? Yeah. Um, in, my, in my mind... Uh, The, the, the most important variable with 
Earth's climate is that 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 ball of gas that's that's above us, right? Mm. Like that that is what controls everything. And then after that, you have clouds and and, and volcanoes and ocean and all sorts of other stuff. Um, now, you've got sustainable development at the top, and then you've got their their crises, which they are using to bring everybody into centralized control. If you can if you can use climate change, which is invisible, also. If you can use that... Just as, like viruses. Just like viruses. If you use climate change... Well, yeah, there we go. That's the other vector. I'll talk about that in a second. So you've got climate change as the major unifying vector under this framework of, of sustainable development. You've got buy-in from 200 countries, 190 countries, whatever the number is. Okay, All of them saying, yeah, we're going to tax... Uh, we're going to have a carbon... We're going to have carbon taxes. I don't, I don't know how you tax... I don't know how you tax... <laughs> people into uh, changing earth temperature. The, the thought is ridiculous. But what they do under that is that they start demonizing nuclear, they start demonizing uh, coal, which is how we survive in South Africa. Coal is our biggest, our biggest um, you know, uh, base source of electricity. Um, once you attack that, then you can bring in the, 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 the very unreliable solar and, and wind and all that sort of stuff. And it's extremely expensive and it's a heavily funded lobby and it makes a lot of money for the technocrats because it uses technology and all that. And it's, it's, it's very easy to control. On a, on a, it's way easier to control than, um, than, than the current setup. You've got people buying into that fear of climate change. So really there's your one vector. The other vector, of course, is like you say, viruses or let's, let's broaden that, let's say um, health, mm. disease. That is the other massive one now. The WHO is just driving this pandemic idea. Again, invisible, like climate change. You can't see viruses. You can't see what's going on. So suddenly you have to trust the authorities. And so therefore you have two major vectors of, of, uh, towards mass control and surveillance because you bring in digital ID and a vaccine passport. Have you got your vaccine? Let's have a look. Yeah, okay, fine. You can travel. All right. Oh, but you can only travel so far. Uh, because you've been you've been using too much fuel in your car, so get rid of your car, use public transport, um, and 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 then when you stop at your next destination, show your QR code with your with your vaccine status. Mm, mm. So now you you can't really pull that off here yeah. in Africa because a people live very far apart. So another sustainable development plan is to push people into the cities mm. so, that's, so, that, so you have more control. But you're not going to win again because as you, as you can see here in South Africa, people are far too scattered mm. and people don't care about listening to the authorities. So it, it will work for the middle classes, but the majority of Africans are not middle classes. And I think there is, there is, there is a saving grace that's coming from the poorer classes mm. in terms of our future. Um, and I think in Africa, you've got a better chance of surviving Agenda 2030 than you do in Canada or in Europe or in may, many parts of Asia even uh, where, it's, where it's very, very efficient. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of, in Africa, as you've probably seen, there's a very deep suspicion of, 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 uh, of, of authority. Um, and and in, a way, in a way, it's a blessing in disguise. Um, that's a long-winded kind of answer, or and and also like yeah. maybe uh, that's the feeling that I get a, a little bit is that 
people thought that everything would be different after apartheid. And now they see everything is getting worse and worse and even way worse than before apartheid. I, I, it's a funny th- story. I was talking about the, the housekeeper in, in, in our house in, in Cape Town. And uh, I was talking about, um, uh, she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do the, the laundry because load shedding. And, and I made a joke that, mm. oh yeah, Ramaphosa left town, so now we have load shedding back. Yeah. And then she, she, she was, you're corrupt and blah, blah, blah. And then she told me, a black lady, she told me, during apartheid, everything was way better than it yes. is right now. Everything so was working. Mm-hmm. Everything was working. So I, I also somehow get the feeling that people are so fed up with how they mm-hmm. hoped everything would change after apartheid, but everything was just yeah. getting worse and worse and worse. You just reminded me, that's also the point that I forgot to make now a moment ago, but I was going to say, so with the, with the Rolling Blackouts, why I believe that a lot of that is um, not purely incompetence and corruption, I think it's ma- mostly driven by the climate change mm. agenda. I think that I think that our government has, and I know for a fact, in, actually, that our government has agreed to multiple, shall we say, resolutions to reduce um, carbon emissions. We are driven by coal, which is carbon emissions. So therefore, uh, co- reducing the amount of output is therefore a reduction in, in carbon emissions. Mm. Roading blackouts are exactly that. Let me ask you a question. If, if you have no control of your electrical grid um, and everything is just broken and it's falling apart, explain to me why I have an app on my phone that accurately tells yeah. me when I'm going to have no electricity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. The, the rolling blackouts are very well managed. Yeah. Uh, on the minute... On the minute they're managed. Yeah, I can t- I can pull out the app right now. I'll tell you I'll tell you when my power is going off today, yeah. and it goes off yeah. at that time. Yeah. Now, so in other words, blackouts are very well managed uh, for the most part, and that indicates to me a that it is by design, but also there are, there are there are enough documents to show that South Africa has effectively and officially agreed to reducing emissions. There's a, yeah. there's a white paper that, that came out a few years ago, I think 2009, that said that by the year 2025, South Africa would, would reduce its carbon emissions by 42%. Now, if you consider the amount of rolling blackouts that we've had in the hours per day on average, um, I think that 42% is, is fairly achievable. Mm. Um, so... The previous CEO of the main electricity provider also himself said that South Africa needs to shut down its coal power. Mm. So I think that there's a combination here of of design, like genuinely stopping people from 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 having electricity mm. to meet those sustainable development targets, uh, and also emergence in the sense of that there is a lot of corruption and fraud and all that sort of stuff. So I think you got those two things together and it does blur uh, the, the clarity of what is going on. But I think it's not just no. the ANC being a terrible and government. I think it's a really important argument to make as well because I just told you in the Netherlands and Amsterdam there were some power outages mm. last week. And, um, and I mean, they're talking about power outages for a long time now. Yeah. And uh, that's what I always, when I come here... I always think they're just. This is the first country where they're trying to like um, make it normal in a way, and everyone here just accepts it also. Um, but then that you live in a country, and I think it will be the same in the Netherlands as well, because when you take out, um, when you only are um, on on like green energy, 
then you you will never manage to to power all those houses in the Netherlands, right? So this will be a future. This will be in the future. It will be the same as here. And now you live in a country here where you have like twice a day. You can't use electricity for like two three hours. Um, what? That's on a good day. On a good day, yeah. <laughs> um, last last year we were having, I think eight hours per day of no electricity. Jeez, yeah. But and but that that's mm. what I when when I what what I realized is that this will be the scenario in the Netherlands and and in the Western countries. We can give you tips. As, exactly, <laughs> write them down. We can give you. We can we can uh, how how to survive blackouts. Yeah, but it's already happening. Mm. That's the thing, and and it yep. will and it will happen in the future in in countries that like the Netherlands. As well. Yeah, and I mean this is part of again sustainable development, and everybody. It's weird. Uh, there, there's such a disconnect with so many people. That I talk to, they go, they just hate the ANC, and I, in no way, do I like the ANC, and I, I've never voted for them, and um, and I don't support them. But people here in South Africa just hate the ANC so much that it completely blinds them to the bigger mm, picture. Yeah, and the bigger picture is is that there is, a, there is an international, a globalist attempt an agenda, a framework, sustainable development to slow down um, carbon emissions and that comes from our coal power. And that's what they're doing. And this is not just us. Many countries are, are, are trying to show... The only country that I know of that's really just giving the middle finger is China. Mm. They're like just going ahead full full throttle and good for them. Yeah, you know The world needs to act like them and, and they never get targeted anyway, by, funnily enough, by, by the UN. Because because the UN has learned that China just you know they don't they just don't care. No, um, also it's not super smart to to mess with 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 China. No, no. But I think that once people realise that you've got you've got these globalist agendas to homogenise the world, things become a lot clearer. But when you keep focusing just on the ANC or just on the local, just on the government, you you. you you miss a lot of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've, you've got to zoom out when you look at these things. Electricity and coal power are directly related to the carbon emissions and climate change agendas, mm. directly. And we don't, South Africa doesn't act independently on these matters. Mm-mm. They don't. No. Just in the same way that South Africa and all other countries did not act independently on the fake pandemic. Mm. They all acted in the same way. Every country implemented masks. Every country implemented social distancing. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard the word, the phrase social distancing before 2020? Nope. I've, I'd never heard of it either. Um, funnily enough, though, it was in a movie called Contagion. Came, oh. out, came out in 2012. Have you, have you heard of the movie? No. Uh, I think it was 2012. And my wife and I watched it during lockdown. You want the hair on your arms to stand up. It's the plot of what happened probably. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> they mention social distancing in the movie. They mention, if I've, if, I've got my, if I've got it correct, a coronavirus outbreak. And in the movie, they talk about lockdowns and, um, and wearing masks. Jeez. It's in the freaking movie. And I think it was even on Netflix. Jeez. It's right there. A little bit of predictive programming. A little bit of predictive. Pro- you can't tell me that that was just coincidence, mm. or maybe it was. But what? What a hell of a coincidence if it was. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, they tried the whole COVID scenario a couple of times before as well, right? I, I can remember in the Netherlands, you had like, was it swine flu or also yeah, a, a kind of corona thing? No, yeah. it, it didn't work. And, or neither, maybe and neither did SARS-CoV-1 work in 2003. SARS, exactly, there was already a SARS-CoV-1. But I thought, first I thought, okay, that didn't work. But then I thought, okay, now maybe they're just testing. Mm. How will people react? They don't want to push it through. They just want to test a little bit, fine tune, and then make it all happen a couple of years later. And they just went, they just went berserk with this one. Yeah. The whole world. Um, it's, it, it still blows my mind. Uh, the whole world just did the same thing, you know. And and then you got you've got unbelievably dim-witted people saying oh, it was just coincidence. <laughs> what? Like how? How? Yeah. How does every country end up using masks, social distancing, the phrase, and they all do the same freaking thing? Yeah. All of them, right? Uh, with, with little changes here and there, like yeah. we couldn't buy cooked chicken. <laughs> or one and a half meter or two meters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the absurdity of the whole thing, you know? And what makes me so sad, though, more than anything, is just that so many people bought into it. That's the part that saddens me. You know, if people just said no from the word go, we wouldn't have had it going for so long. Mm. But it is what it is. And Thankfully, a lot of us came out of it yeah. on top, you know. And also, I think it's a good thing also because just like you said earlier, it was just a, such a w- awakening for a lot of mm. a lot of people. So I think, I, I, yeah. I do believe we need to get a little bit more of, of the COVID situations to pe- for people to read. Disease X. Yeah, 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 for instance, yeah. And I, I mean, people are saying, I, I've, I've, I've heard people actually say, yeah, they're making a vaccine for disease X. Okay, what is disease X? No, I don't know. Has it arrived? No. Don't worry, they already have a vaccine. And people say this, like intelligent people. <laughs> they actually say this. Yeah. You know? But I, do you, don't you think, because what do you think of the whole Israel, um, uh, Gaza, yeah, okay, so, Palestine yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my, my position is I don't have a dog in that fight. So I'm neither a Muslim and I'm neither a Jew. So and I'm I'm not a citizen of any of those countries or those regions, right? So I don't need to get personally invested in it, just like I didn't need to get personally invested in Ukraine, Russia, et cetera, et cetera, or any any war that's that's happening anywhere. But I can comment and I can have an opinion. And I certainly, certainly am more critical of the Israeli government, extremely critical of the of the Israeli government. Uh, because if you if you go and look at the history, so just for a very brief moment, I just want to just say, I understand that people will, will debate now what actually historically led up to where we are now. Um, I tend to buy into the idea that um, the state of modern state of Israel is a not biblical, because a lot of that comes up. I see these conversations happening all the time. It's not the same thing. And, and that's a conversation, an academic conversation that we can have another time. But it's not, there's not a connection between the two. The modern state of Israel, as best as I understand it, is essentially the creation of the British Empire mixed with Zionism. Um, and, um, and we know that the Rothschilds, for example, were involved. We, 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 we can even see the document. Uh, the Belfort uh, Declaration. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and so on. So, um, and the United Nations and all that. So there were, there were 
there were globalists involved with the creation of the modern state of Israel. Now, uh, were there people living there? Yes, there were people living there. There were Palestinians living there. That's just irrefutable. However, I'm not going to get into the details because what I think is important is when you zoom out and you realize that Israel, in my view, is a proxy of the U.S., it's, a, it's the foothold into the Middle East because the U.S. is part of the former British Empire. You can call it the American Empire, whatever, right? It's the same thing. Um, it is losing its global stronghold. Now, again, these conversations always get derailed because you'll get someone saying, yeah, but the overall world is controlled by the same people and so therefore the East and the West paradigm is non-existent. That might be true. But the reality is that there is still an East and a West paradigm. It's very obvious, which is why you're seeing um, you know, America versus Iran or America versus China or America versus Russia. I don't think that Biden and Putin are sitting you know, on WhatsApp going, okay, guys, let's just, let's, let's just go to war and, and, and uh, let's make the world think that, that we're opposing each other. I don't think, firstly, Biden can't speak in full sentences, right? He's, he's senile and he's got a cabinet behind him. The, frame, the frameworks, I think, align themselves to opposing each other. So you might have central bankers and you might have people on, on the top of the pyramid who've created the frameworks for this to happen and they're benefiting, but the people below don't necessarily know. Like Putin might not know that he's being played or Biden, Biden certainly doesn't know that he's being played. Trump might not even know that he's being played. To some degree, I think Trump, I think Trump is a bit more awake than other US presidents, but I don't think... Isn't he an openly Zionist as well? But he is, a, I think he is a Christian Zionist, yes. But, you know, he's awake to the climate change nonsense. So he's not like, it's, it's nuanced. He's, got, he's good on some things, bad on other things. Biden is just pretty useless on everything. Um, Obama was pretty useless on everything. Um, and Trump is aware that there's a deep state, for example. Now, I'm not saying I like Trump. What I'm saying is that you've got political leaders who are actors on a stage and they are directors of that theatrical production. But a lot of the actors on the stage don't know that they're actors on a stage. Mm. That, that's what I'm trying to suggest. Mm. And so there is a real, there is a real East-West paradigm going on. And so you have America clearly wanting to maintain its stranglehold as a superpower. We can see that this is imploding, just like the Roman Empire imploded. Um, and as a result, America's way of dealing with things is to be aggressive which is why it wants to create a war with Russia. It doesn't like, it doesn't like the fact that Russia is a, is a powerhouse. It wants to create a war with China via Taiwan. That's very obvious. And it also wants to create a war with Iran, I believe through Israel. There's a wider war with Iran that America wants to create. And so therefore you'll have years and years and years and years and many years of just propaganda about Iran, about China, about Russia. And so we... Uh, in the, I say in the West because I'm not sure if South Africa is considered the West or not. I think on a good day we'll say yes, we're the West, and on a bad day we'll say no, we're not the West. You know, because <laughs> we choose. Yeah, we're kind of schizophrenic. <laughs> you know, we, we we were once part of the Commonwealth, so we can kind of say, well, yeah, we've got Western stuff around us, and so therefore we are. But because we're part of BRICS, we can go. Well, no, we're not part of the West. You know, so I don't, I'm not. So it depends on who's looking. But you could say that. The United States is using Israel as a proxy to get into the Middle Eastern control. 
and this oil and all that. So these are very real things. Now, it's a long, long roundabout way to answer your question. What I'm suggesting is that what's going on in Gaza is real. Netanyahu definitely wants to wipe out Gaza. He wants to flatten it and he's interested in the greater Israel project and, and expanding Israel, which is one of the reasons why Israel has no defined borders. Right? It, it refuses to define its own borders. It wants to expand. It also wants to get to gas that's sitting just off the Gazan um, ocean uh, uh, shoreline. Um, and and people, people throw around the term Hamas. Have you noticed? Mm. Hamas, wipe out Hamas. Hamas seems to be like a, a catch-all phrase now yeah. for Palestinians or Muslims or something. I don't know, I don't know but it's... Like everyone is Hamas. Everyone's Hamas. <clears throat> so like if there's 30,000 30, dead Gazans, yeah, but you see they're Hamas. Yeah. Well, no, they're not all Hamas. Yeah, well, okay, they're supporters of Hamas. They're all terrorists, you know, <laughs> like 30,000 terrorists. Okay. Now, these are very real things and these might have been uh, set up by the frameworks that have been created over the years. Um, and so you're sitting with, if you zoom in very, very closely, you'll never solve anything and you'll never see the big picture. But if you zoom out slightly and you realize that there is an, an empire problem also with, with Israel being a proxy, I believe, of the US. Um, and that's why America funds Israel and it's very, very, very interested in all the affairs of Israel, uh, it, it makes sense that Israel would want hostile enemies like um, Hamas, keeping in mind also that Israel partly created and funded Hamas, mm. okay, it's, it, so, that it could, so that it could diminish the impact of the PLO and Yasser Arafat. It doesn't, Israel doesn't want a two-state solution. Hamas doesn't either. And Hamas has openly said that it wants to wipe Israel off the map. That's what Israel likes mm. because then Israel doesn't need to negotiate with a terrorist. Mm -hmm. You see, so, so Hamas is actually well positioned. If Yasser Arafat or if the PLO were governing Gaza, they'd be a lot more reasonable and that Israel would be forced to negotiate, but now they don't have to. So now they can bomb and everybody sees them as terrorists and so therefore it's, it's, this is, it's a good position for Israel to be in. Um, now, I don't know if that will ever be resolved. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But what I do know is that the American empire is quite happy, I think, with that situation because it's allowing them to start pointing fingers at Iran constantly and it allows them to start pushing troops and military into that region, which is what they're doing. So you've got this permanent threat of war. There's the other, one of the other vectors towards global control is war. And war really only benefits the bankers mm. and really only benefits the politicians, also the ones who are in, in, in power. It doesn't benefit people on the ground. No. And I said this to you before we started recording, and this is very, very important. What's happening in Gaza, in my view, has nothing to do with or very little to do with Jews and Muslims. All right? I believe that by and large, Jews and Muslims are very happy to live alongside each other. This is not a religious war. How do we know this? Well, I think there's 2 million Muslims in Israel who live happily there. There are Jews that live outside of Israel in other Middle Eastern countries like Iran. For years and years and years, they're happy. Um, peaceful. There are Jews and Muslims that live in Russia. 
right? People, by and large, no matter what their belief system is or their ethnicity or whatever, will, by and large, live peacefully alongside one another. Even here in South Africa, with all our racial tension, who caused that? Mm. It wasn't the people on the ground. It was the powers that be. It was the authorities. It was the government. Um, it's always those higher up the food chain that, that create those conflicts. The media loves to create conflict. And, it, and it, it, it creates something that's a lot worse than the reality. What's going on in the Middle East is the result of authoritarians, technocrats, bankers, politicians, presidents, who are creating conflict where, they, where there doesn't necessarily need to be conflict. Um, and I keep saying this, that what you're seeing there is an attempt to, to, to try and get control of that region, particularly by the, by the American empire. And it's using Muslims and Jews as the, as the, 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 the chess piece. Mm-hmm. And they are legitimately fighting and bombing one another but they've been put into that position, if that makes sense. So they're not necessarily aware. They're not looking at the bigger picture because if you're in Gaza, the big picture doesn't matter no. at all. It's just surviving. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And it's and it's, it's so you've got levels. You've got levels of 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 control and playing and manipulate. Wars are always like this. Mm. There's a lot of strategy going on. But what do you think? Because that's obviously the thing that drives mm. the whole. Um, well, at least Israel is the Zionist movement. It's massive, but. But even worse than the Zionist movement, sorry, I'm bumping your microphone here. No worries. What's worse than the Zionist movement is the Christian Zionist movement. Mm. It's a weird cult-like ideology. I think there's like 70 or 80 million Christian Zionists in the United States. And a lot of presidents are Christian Zionists. Donald Trump himself is, I believe, a Christian Zionist, which is why I think he moved or attempted to move the embassy from, I think it was Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Mm. That was a big middle finger that he was, that he was, Pulling. And that was a terrible thing that he did, I think, because Jerusalem is also a sacred city for the Palestinians. Yeah. Right? So that was Donald Trump making a very, very, very provocative chess move. Mm. It was purely symbolic. Uh, now, <clears throat> I just, I've just lost my train of thought. Um, the, the Christian... Yes, Christian Zionism. So Christian Zionism is, is weird. And it's largely based, I believe, from what I can gather, on a combination of British intel, Israeli intel, the Schofield Reference Bible, which is very influential in, in, in Christian Zionism, um, which then led to dispensationalism and, and, and the idea that, that Israel, the modern state of Israel, must be unwaveringly supported, blindly supported by, by Christians because Jews are the chosen people and it says so in the Bible. The reality is that it doesn't say so in the Bible and this is what happened from the Schofield Reference Bible which is one of the most influential Bibles um, in existence. And it, it basically, about 100 years ago, whatever, a guy called Schofield and he was funded by, funny enough, Rothschilds and other, and other Zionists to, to bring out Normal, normal translations of the Bible, King James or whatever else, but he, he, it, he made notes next to, so like if you open it, you'll see all these little references and down the side and underneath and so on. It was that, that, that became extremely popular in the United States and it sold in the millions and millions and millions. And variations of that ever since have been, have been in, 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 um, in distribution, whether it's this translation or that translation, but it's those notes. 
and he and what interpretations correct yeah Uh, yes yes so so he would say well this verse on this page means israel Mm -hmm. god is referring to israel here and if you read the verses and you didn't have those notes you wouldn't think that you would have to read the scriptures more and I'm just talking about this because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to create the context for Christian Zionism, which I believe is strongly related to what I'm talking about right now. A lot of the funding for that came from British and Israeli intel. That's, that's less important to the, the overarching narrative of dispensationalism, which is the idea that Israel is the chosen nation and Christians need to support it no matter what. And somehow this idea caught on um, and it was published by Oxford University Press and it made a lot of money and all that sort of thing and it just swept the United States. Uh, and, uh, and today you've got mega, mega evangelical Christian church pastors on, on this, on, behind the podium with Israeli flags hanging behind them. How? How do you get to that point where the Israeli flag is more important than your own flag Okay, so that's, that's kind of weird. And you become so dogmatically blinded by this message that you will say that there are 30,000 terrorists and we must wipe them all out. Mm. And, if, and if it means wiping out Gaza and flattening it and rebuilding over it, that's it because we are wiping out the terrorists. Why? Yeah. Because we must stand by Israel. So it doesn't matter what happens. Anything, they can do anything they want and they'll be protected. It's just this weird ideology, but it caught on uh, as it was designed to uh, through us, as I said, British and Israeli intel, I think has got a strong connection um, behind it. And of course, the idea that Israel is this, is this chosen nation that Christians must blindly support no matter what. Uh, and it has millions and millions and millions of people following this idea. It's not biblical. Uh, and um, and I think that it it's very divisive, very very divisive. It 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 interferes with your own with your own nation sovereignty, for example, because it it it, it gets this idea of 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 I don't know if there's a word Israelism. Mm. It gets that idea infiltrated into into your environment, mm. and then that's why you end up with with church pastors and and preachers and. Generally, the evangelical Christians uh, proclaiming the message, the 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 the, pro- the protection of Israel, and um, it's it, it's it's crazy how popular this, this idea is, and it dates back further than than Jewish Zionism. Zionism. I mean, mm. that people don't realize that. Really? Yeah, it's like you got like eighty million Christians fighting the cause of five million Jews. In, in a weird kind of way. Because not all Jews are Zionists either. No, a lot are not Zionists, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and, and there's a difference between Zionism and Judaism yeah. and, and and Israel. Okay, they're all linked, but they are different. You know, no nobody that I know hates Jews. Like you don't you don't hate a, a person who's a believer. No. You know, a Jew as in somebody who's either ethnically a Jew or, you know, follows the, the religion of Judaism. Why on earth would you hate somebody simply because of their belief, uh, or um, you know, or the or the accident of their birth? Zionism is different. It's an, it's an ideology that anybody can adopt, uh, and it's not really about uh, Judaism. It's just about blindly defending the state of Israel. And then, of course, Israel 
um, is a modern state since 1948, and it has Christians and Muslims living in it. These are all citizens. So if, if I talk about Israel, I'm talking about the country and an Israeli is a citizen of the country of Israel, just like I'm a citizen of the country of South Africa. And you have many different types of people living in South Africa. So, so and saying Israeli doesn't mean Jew and it doesn't necessarily mean Zionist. No. Um, and these, these three terms get used so incorrectly all the time. And so you end up with this idea, which you can kind of understand in which suddenly it looks like there's a lot of hatred for Jews. Yeah. But that they, 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 they managed that in almost a smart way, mm. didn't they? That now all of a sudden, if you, if you say something about Zionism, you're an anti-Semite. Yeah, and I mean, that's also garbage. Saying, saying anti-Semite is the same thing as calling somebody a racist or a sexist. It's an empty label that is designed to shut down discourse. Right, that's all it is. So uh, you're an anti-Semite. So so the the best way to handle that is to go. Oh, okay, cool. Now what? <laughs> you're a racist. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now what? What are you gonna do? Mm. Okay. Now that you've now that you've said it, you've 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 thrown out your little label. You know, you can you know, have a little sticker or that says that, right? No problem. Sure. Now can we get back to the talking point? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that because. A lot of people say that Zionism is almost everything what drives the whole one world governance and the whole agenda on everything is rooted from, from Zionism. Do you, do you believe I, as well? I've thought about this. Um, I don't know. I think, I think there could be some links, but keep in mind that the new world order concept, that framework is old. It goes, it's way older than Zionism. Um, it's, you could say it's thousands of years old. Uh, you know, it's taken various forms. I'd certainly think that a lot of people at the top of a lot of these structures, these, these global organizations, these think tanks, or whatever, yeah, a lot of them are Jews, there's no doubt about that. But that's not necessarily where the danger lies. The danger lies is if they are Zionists. And I think a lot of them are. Having said that, I also think that there are a lot of Jesuits at the, to at the top structures. And I think Jesuits are also, they go back far. They're linked to the Vatican. And a lot of people keep ignoring the power, the historical, the historical power that, that, that the Jesuits have had, the Vatican, the Roman Empire, right? People very quickly forget about that entire history because what happens is that people it's almost fashionable to get so caught up. Again, you get caught up and you get distracted and you ignore the other stuff. You get caught up at the low-hanging fruit and mm. the low-hanging fruit is the Jews, right? And as I just said, I think there are a lot of Zionist Jews and Christian Zionists in, in very high places. But this is also great for the Jesuits who just get forgotten about. Uh, for example, I, I, I think, I think, at the head of the BIS, which is the uh, Bank of International Settlements, which is, it's the central bank of central banks. He's not a Jew. He, and I don't, I'm not sure if he's a Zionist. I suspect he's a Catholic. I, f I forget his name now. Um, Augustine Carstens, I think it is. Mm. I'm not certain. I'm not 100% certain. But my point is, is that if 
if he is Catholic, right, he's definitely not a Jew. And he's extremely powerful. And a lot of extremely powerful individuals are not Jews and not Zionists. But nobody talks about them. And I think that there are multiple groups of people that pull a lot of the world's strings. And it's not just the Jews. As I said, I think it's a low-hanging fruit. It's very easy to get caught up in, in that trend. Mm. And all it does is, is that it, it, it blurs uh, some of the possible other truths that are just simply yeah. then in plain sight, but you're not seeing them. Uh, because it's funny you said that the Roman Empire has died, but then if you look at the Jesuits and stuff... Has it actually died? Yes. Has it actually died? Yes, exactly. And you've heard of... Um, uh, the Club of Rome. Mm -hmm. very, very, They invented climate crisis, the, the whole climate thing, uh, climate change by humans, right? Yeah. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they, well, they created, you're talking about the, um, that sort of Malthusian model, mm. uh, uh, Limits to Growth. So Limits to Growth is a paper based on Malthusian, Malthusian um, principles. It was developed by the Club of Rome and then put into, into, Actual mathematics, I believe, by MIT, uh, and so and so. Yes, correct. So the Club of Rome are very much drivers of the of the of the climate change narrative, but people forget that there are other groups and actors involved because they just want to target the Jews or the Zionists the whole time. They are one uh, piece in the puzzle. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and the Jesuits. Aren't they the, the black or the grey pope? One, one of the them? black. The black pope is, you, is what you're referring to. Yeah, correct. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and nobody knows about that because no. they because they're all focused on the Jews. Yeah, yeah, it is. Eh? So, what do you think that um, being from South Africa and living here and, and seeing how everything goes here? You just you just came back from the Netherlands, actually, right? Mm. Like like a month or two ago. I was, I was in October. Do you think that the countries like the Netherlands, like Germany, like like the Western countries over there in Europe, they are like the one, the, the eye of the storm, so to speak. Yes. Well, I think... In terms of the agenda. Yeah, I do think that. I think, I think in some ways, the head of the snake is Switzerland. Um, that's the heart of the WHO and Davos and a lot, of, a lot of globalist agendas get planned there. Uh, I think... No, the Bilderberg Group, I think, is in the Netherlands, eh? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, because Bilderberg is in the Netherlands. It's a hotel yeah, from so, the Netherlands. Yeah, it's a hotel. That's where. But to answer your question, I do think Europe is a hotspot for uh, Agenda 2030. Let me give an example I was telling you earlier. Amsterdam is a beautiful city, exquisite, and it's way prettier than Paris, right? <laughs> You know, <coughs> crap. <coughs> Sorry. You know, Paris. Paris is just. It's not the romantic city that that the movies say it is. Amsterdam is way more beautiful. But Amsterdam is. It's perfect for a 15-minute city. Mm. It's. It doesn't even realize that it set itself up. Everybody rides a bicycle. It's tiny. You don't have to go anywhere because everything is everything is on top of everything else. It's close. Yeah. Uh, I think when we were there, the furthest we traveled away from where we were staying was two or three kilometers mm. at most. 
You don't need to go any further than that. If you go further than that, you like, you know, it's going for a day trip, <laughs> you know. Just to get here, just to meet up with you, I think I drove in my car 20 kilometers, right? And I live close by, mm. right? But when I was in Amsterdam, I didn't need to go further than three kilometers away from where I was staying. Everything was, was there. The 15-minute city is set up. All they, have to, all they have to do is say, let's do it. Yeah. And everybody will, will, say, will give the thumbs up and go, yes. Because they market it so beautifully that you don't need to, you don't need to live outside of where your bicycle can take you. Um, and and so, you're already not allowed to drive in the city of Amsterdam with a diesel all of that and I don't know, so many years. You know, you know what was so weird to me? This is a culture shock for me. So as you will know, here, here in South Africa, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, a wilderness of sorts. Like you can't really get anywhere unless you have a car. All right. In Amsterdam, people who ride bicycles have got more right of way than cars. True. You know, and they're aggressive about it. Yeah, it's horrible to drive in Amsterdam. A guy on a bicycle rode into me. <laughs> but he was nice about it. He still apologized. But the funny thing was that they, I've never seen so many bicycles and the, to have a car there is almost... Like it, 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 it feels as if it's frowned upon. Yeah. Like, why, what's wrong with you? Why have you got a car? Mm. You know, dude, I've got the best bike. <laughs> you know, and um, it's just it's 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 culturally doesn't make sense to me because you can't ride a bicycle here. Really, you, you really can't. No. Uh, you'll you'll get stabbed or shot <laughs> or your bike will get stolen or something. Um, and everything's too far away from everything else. Mm. It's just too far. I mean, it's just too far. Uh, so 15-minute cities, are, they're going to struggle with that here in South Africa and probably in Africa as a general rule. Europe, it's set up. Paris, it, it's set up. You know, you don't need to go more than five kilometers away from anywhere. No. If you're, if you're in the center of Paris, it's done. 15-minute city set up. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of Europe. Everything is so close together that to have a 15-minute city and, a, and, and mass surveillance, drones, uh, digital ID, everything works. So it's, it's just easy to implement. Everything is centralized, easy to, to set up. Mm. You know, it's just a matter of rolling it out. Mm. Um, and so I think it is definitely a hotspot. And I think the head of the, the snake, so to speak, is, is Switzerland. I think that's where a lot of that stuff is being, being driven. Because Switzerland, in all its neutrality, has created a a very, very toxic cesspit of globalism. Mm. Did you hear uh, our queen, Maxima, from the Netherlands? She was talking at, in Davo, and she was talking um, about uh, the importance of uh, digital ID So for vaccine status. And she openly, she talked about it like a week mm. ago. They love it. The queen! Yeah, they love it. Uh, more importantly, I love how you said Davo. Sounds fancy. <laughs> With a silent S, yeah. like I'm, I'm common, dude. I'm from Africa. I just say Davos. <laughs> like, well, no, I'm, I got Davo. Davo, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of French still in there, uh-huh. right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, here in Africa, we 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 uh, we we're, we're low class, so we just say Davos. There's no silent S. <laughs> just Davos. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good point um, because what happens is this: I don't think they necessarily. 
are indoctrinated to speak like that, I think they genuinely think it's a good idea. I've, I know people who think that these are good ideas. They really do. Mm. They go, ah, Germ, you're just paranoid. What are you, what are you worried about? You've got nothing to worry about. I mean, they're not going to come after you. You know, if you're not doing anything wrong, mm. you know, what have you got to worry about? It's, it's efficient. You've got nothing to hide. You've got nothing to hide. Just scan your code and, and, you, you, know, and you can get on the bus or whatever. Mm. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's packaged as a, as a very nice, warm deal. And in many ways it is. I was telling you earlier that, you know, I, I don't like carrying cash. I know that, I know that cash is king because it can't be tracked and traced. You know, if you and I do a, a deal under the table here, nobody will know what we're dealing in. Yeah. And despite the fact that cash is fiat and I have my own tug of wars there because it's government monopoly money, but I, I know that I can still do a lot with cash, right? And, that, and, it's, and it's, it's just, it's, it's unknown what those transactions are. But I don't like carrying cash. It's just, it's just, it's just a mission. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes makes your makes your, your your pocket thicker. Yeah, you know, I um, need to go to to the bank. Yeah, and you got to go find an ATM and and all that sort of thing. It's it is much better just to you know tap your card or tap your phone or something to that effect. Uh, so I've got this personal tug of war because I do like convenience, but I also know that convenience isn't always good. However, what if you could tap your phone, but you're tapping crypto, mm. and that's decentralized. Uh, so I know you and I were chatting about this earlier. I, I'm not sure where I stand on that. Uh, I, again, I'm, I'm conflicted because I love the fact that crypto, like Monero, for example, is very decentralized and nobody can, can re- pretty much do anything with it. Like Bitcoin, mm, Bitcoin might, you might be able to, you know, to, 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 to track and trace it. And I do agree with you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I do think about the origins of Bitcoin you know, was it a an, an Intel an Intel psyop to to prepare us for CBDC? Who knows? Um, and that in itself could also be the psyop. Like we just don't know. No, isn't that a good thing? Also, this like living in this era now, we're like we mm. we thought we knew it all, but, but if we you don't. all strip yeah. it down, we probably yeah. Yeah. don't know that much. What I do think is this, I. I think, okay, so I think cash is a good idea and I think use cash, uh, uh, if you want to use cash, I think use cash where possible. Uh, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly easier to, to hide your transactions and, 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 and maintain a degree of privacy. I, I'm suspecting that I'm going to start leaning more, more and more towards cryptocurrency in the coming years uh, because I just, again, I just don't like, carrying stuff on me like that. And, uh, you know, it's like saying, well, okay, well, gold. And I'm a big fan of gold and silver. Dude, do you want to carry gold on you? No, it sucks. It's heavy and it's clunky. And so, so that's why you have then cash, which was supposedly the IOU, you know, linked to, uh, to, to, to precious metals. You know, it was, it, was the, it was the standard. Of course, that's all done away with. So cash is pretty much uh, just... Money Nothing. out of thin air. Paper. And this is why I'm conflicted with the idea of using cash because it's also money out of thin air. Temporary solution. Just 
that it stops everything from getting worse, probably, but it's no solution for the long term. Yeah, so it's it's this weird sort of circle. It's it's almost as if using cash is it's just slowing down the inevitable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I think as well. Yeah, it's just slowing it down. That's the money all. system is, is fucked either way. No, it's broken. Yeah, it's completely yeah. broken. Um so so where possible, you know, focus on on on, on your privacy. And then I think that way, like if you're using Monero or any of these cryptos that are that are, are pretty privacy orientated, I don't know. They, I don't think I don't think they can get into that stuff. No. I don't think Intel can get into that stuff. I think the guys are ahead of the game on this. So even let's pretend, even if it was a psyop, Bitcoin was a psyop, well, it, you could argue that it's backfired because of all the all the derivatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we were talking about earlier, right? Mm. Like the fact that internet that they that they it was yeah for the for the intelligence. Sure, that's what I believe as well. At a certain point, there was internet. All of a sudden, mm. bum, everyone is starting starting to use it, and there's more control and more control. But also for us, a way to make this kind of conversations and still bring it into the public. So, so yes. yeah, and I, and I think there's a meta conversation that I've been having a lot of lately, and that is the world is not binary. This is the problem with many on our side, right? The whole world is binary. It's one or zero. That's why I, that's why I take exception to, to certain uh, commentators or pundits who say that everything is by design. No. Because if you say that everything is by design, you're, you're completely removing the idea of human nature. Mm. Human nature is, is, is very erratic. Um, and human nature is biological, and it goes outside of the realm of, of control. Mm, it's bigger. It's much bigger. Yeah. Human nature is why it's very difficult to control loads of people. Because you can't control... The only thing you control is bots or androids. Okay? So that's why you want transhumanism, so that you can make people more compliant. Mm. By making people more compliant, you're, you're, you're lessening human nature. Human nature is what's keeping us free in many ways. Um, it human nature desires the best outcome for, for humans, okay? Uh, and the best outcome is not being enslaved. Mm. And the best outcome is wanting privacy and all those sorts of things. So we will always innovate and find intuitive ways to get around the things that are trying to suppress human nature. That's why when people say, um, Everything that's happening right now, let's just pretend. Let's, let's say that COVID to Ukraine to Israel, those things are completely by design. Maybe. But I'm more inclined to believe that there's a, that there's a degree of human nature involved also. Mm. I think you certainly can create frameworks under which all these things, like sustainable development, it's a framework. but not, And you might get a lot of buy-in, but you also won't. You can't force everybody to, to use solar panels. Or you can force them, but you're going to end up with a disaster situation. Mm. You, have to, you have to realize that, that we are thinking beings. And it's because of that. It's because of that, that, that ability to apply nuance that the world is not one and zero. It's not black or white. There is a lot of gray the further away you get from your personal being, the more gray it gets. Mm. So in other words, like right now, I can tell you that um, I believe in the family. And this is a fairly binary position, a one or zero, right? Family one, 
No family, zero. Uh, there's no in between. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I also can tell you that I think rape is a pretty bad idea. I've got a binary position on that. I, I don't think, I don't think you can make a case for rape, right? Uh, in in any circumstance, really. That's binary. But the further away we go, like Gaza, now I can have a nuanced position because it doesn't affect my human nature. It doesn't affect my immediate environment. It doesn't affect my family immediately. It, it, it might have repercussions by way of, I don't know, increased prices on, I don't know, whatever. Mm. Uh, oil, who knows, whatever. Okay, like, but that's not, that's geopolitical. That's not based on you waking up in the morning and how you approach the world and how your human nature and your desires and your meaning and purpose, it doesn't affect that. Mm. And so those things can be very value-driven and very binary. But the further away they go from your nucleus, I think the, the, the more nuanced and gray they can become. Your, your sovereignty as, a, as an individual is driven by nuance and a human nature and, and, and. There are mm. lots of things. We are not androids. We can't operate purely in a, in a binary system. That's why I think that the world is very nuanced. It's okay to have nuanced positions. Uh, yes, another way of thinking about it. We were talking about Donald Trump briefly earlier. I like Donald Trump. Generally speaking, I like him. Now, I'm not American, so I don't have a dog in that fight, right? But I do, I do kind of like some of the stuff that he says, but I don't like some of the other stuff that he says. I don't like his, 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 his sort of Christian Zionist position. I do like his position on climate. So now what? I've got different positions on the same person. Well, that's okay because that's nuance. Does it mean I think he's a hero? No, I don't think that at all. Does you it disagree with him on some points. I agree with him on some points and I disagree with him on others. Yeah. Um, what, let's, let's, let's talk about somebody who's way more of, a, of an enigma. Elon Musk. I have no idea what to make of him. All right? I find him intriguing and yet dangerous. He's, 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 he, he, for me, he's like polar opposites because he, he clearly has made Twitter X a better social media environment. There's no doubt about that. That's demonstrably the case. Does it mean it's a free speech platform? No, it doesn't mean that because he took down one of my tweets recently, or not he personally, but the platform did. And there are lots of people who get censored and banned and suspended and all sorts of stuff, right? But it is better than what it was in 2020, right? So he has done a good job in, in freeing it up, as it were. Mm. But I don't like other projects of his. But don't you, don't you believe that... Um that's the feeling that I get with Trump and also with Musk is that feed the people who are critically thinking, who are differently thinking, who want it differently, feed them some heroes um, so that they'll say, oh, Musk is a legend or Trump mm -hmm. is a legend and he'll come and fix everything for us um, just to keep us quiet or distracted maybe or hope, hoping that someone else will save us from this mess. And, and yeah, prevents us from actually doing something about the mess by just hoping those guys will fix everything for us. Yeah, I've, I've seen that argument used a lot of times and, and I get it. It's a very cynical uh, position to have though, a uh, very blackpooled position um, because it 
what it's suggesting is that they're that they're essentially bad people. And I don't I don't think it's entirely fair. I think Donald Trump is a blockhead. Okay, he genuinely is a blockhead. I don't think he's stupid, but he's a blockhead. Like he, like he was, in my view, completely wrong on the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Okay, Operation Warp Speed. But now it's nuanced. Because I don't believe that he sat around a table with, with his advisors and, and said, I'm going to try and kill Americans. I don't think so. I think what happened there was he was outplayed. Um, and I've done a couple interviews on this. Uh, I think that he was outplayed by, by the deep state, by the CIA. Um, I won't get into the details, but people who, who surrounded him very quickly in early, in late 2019, early 2020, you knew this whole thing was, was going to play out. They surrounded him very, very quickly. And because he's a blockhead, because he's self-important and a narcissist and arrogant and all those sorts of things, he doesn't, I don't think he thinks about viruses. Okay, I don't think he thinks about stuff like that. He thinks about China, China. That's the thing. That's all he thinks about, right? And when they when they surrounded him, they said, "Look, this is deadly virus, and uh, if you don't act now, you're going to have millions of dead Americans, and you're going to you're going to look like a terrible president." And I think he said, "Like, okay, what do I do?" But he was already by that stage surrounded by the by the wrong people, who were playing him. The CIA, I think, was involved, and we know this because uh, Matt Pottinger, who's a CIA operative, uh, pretty much put Deborah Burks into the White House to 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 head up his Corona response team. So we know that the CIA was immediately involved. Anyway, without getting into the complexities, what I'm trying to say is is that it's a combination of factors. The fact that he he probably wouldn't have wanted to have locked down the United States because he's a businessman to a large degree and he would never have wanted to be the president to, to destroy the American economy. But I think, he was, I think he was outplayed on that one. I think, for example, his position on Israel is, is just based on his own upbringing. Yeah? You know, he's a Christian Zionist and I think he just got caught up in that whole world. Mm. Um, I don't... I don't think he sat there thinking how he's going to make the world hate him. <laughs> I think he just believes that like millions of Americans do. Uh, other things are more, are, I think, are more strategic, like climate change. He doesn't believe all that nonsense. That's a good thing. You know, that's a very good thing. What am I saying? What I'm saying to you is that, again, it's not binary. He's not a hero, but I don't think he's Satan. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I, I, he goes to bed at night and he thinks about things. He reads, he reads books, whatever. You know, or, yeah, I think he reads books. I don't think Joe Biden reads anything. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think he talks. He just like goes to bed. Like, <laughs> you know, Do you think uh, he's he a gets, clone though? And he gets fed. I've, I've, I've wondered that also. <laughs> I've seen some, some weird photos of him and they don't make any sense. <laughs> and I don't know. I think if he, if he were cloned, the only thing... That that, and I could buy into that. But how do you how do you get his voice so good? His voice does sound like his voice from when he was younger. True. That's the one thing that I, I I'm not quite sure. But I, then again, you get very good voice artists, so who knows? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, now Elon also. Now the reality is this: you you don't, and I'm trying not to be super cynical. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to also 
give people some benefit of the doubt mm. because of human nature. I'm trying to give people some, some good. I don't want to just say that they're outright evil no matter what. But the reality is that you don't, you don't become Elon Musk just by chance. No. Okay, you don't get to that position in the world, all right? Just by sheer business. No. It doesn't work like that. No. All right, you're allowed to get to that position and you're put there. Uh, there is a little bit of luck, I'm sure, involved in all that sort of thing. His positions on things, I think a lot of them are genuine. I think he genuinely, he genuinely does believe that he's doing a lot of good for climate change. So I think his position on climate change is, is, is rubbish. But I think he genuinely believes it, if that makes sense. Um, but I also think he knows that it's a good money-making industry. I think he knows that he can make a lot of money from renewable energy, from electric cars and all that. Feeding into the story. That and feeding into the story also. Yeah. So, so I think he genuinely, okay, let me rephrase it. I think he genuinely believes that he's done a lot of good mm. environmentally. But I also think if he goes to bed at night and he thinks about it, I think he knows that humans are not really changing Earth's climate. Mm -hmm. But he... But he sees what he's doing, if, this, if, if it makes sense, he sees what he's doing as, a, good, as a, a morally good thing and that he'll be remembered in the future for. I think he sees himself sort of as a type of, uh, what's that dude from Iron Man? Uh, you mean a Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, he's, yeah, his character. Tony Stark. Tony Stark, yeah. I think he sees himself as a bit of a Tony Stark. I don't know what he thinks about other stuff. I don't know what he thinks about microchips in your head and all that um, uh, I think I think that putting your faith in Elon is a bad idea, mm. right? So the way I see him and approach him is simply he runs a social media platform. And if I put all my eggs in that basket, I'm going to end up getting disappointed, mm. right? So I just use it to exploit it for my own gain. Mm. That's a good way. And I have Telegram and other places. Mm. But I do have a soft spot for Elon because he's from my, <laughs> from my side of the world. You know, he's, he's, he's from here. Yeah. And I, deep down inside, I'm kind of hoping, I'm just hoping that there is good in him. Mm. But I know, I also know that you don't get to where he is. You don't ban Kanye West like he did. No. For just no reason at all. Mm. Kanye West knows stuff. Yeah. No matter what anybody thinks of him, Kanye was was onto something before he got suspended. And, e and it, wasn't, it wasn't what Elon said it was. No. Elon said that it was, what? Anti-Semitism anti or something like that. Yeah, also, yeah. And that's the other problem again, is that Elon is caught up in that world, mm. Zionism and all that nonsense, which does feed down to what you were saying about the control mechanisms coming from those sorts of people. And, and I, think, I think you certainly are on point with a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. Do you, you said something beautiful just earlier, which I um, really noticed during my trip here in South Africa as well, is that the whole nature aspect of, of the world of, or actually everything driving is that the elites think they, they need to get nature out of us and, and try to get us in that robotic kind of state of mind so that we comply and the whole agenda will, will work out. But... What I, especially being in South Africa, noticed because nature is still such a big part of, of living here. And the sun. 
the sun, nature, everything is, but there's, there's such something bigger driving us, and that is nature or the universe or God. I don't, I don't care how you call it. And that, that, like, if we can tap into that, if we can see that that is bigger, and that's why I have a problem with, with the Netherlands, with Germany, with those countries, because nature, the, the aspect of nature is already taken out of the country almost. So being here, it makes me realize that like, there is something bigger than us. It's, it's nature, and, and our nature will always prevent us thinking from, uh, prevent us moving in a direction that the elites want us to move. Well, yeah, I mean, so I mentioned human nature, and you've just mentioned nature. Yeah. I mean, I think those are big parts of, of what makes us happy. Uh, there's a reason why being in the sun makes you happier than being in the rain. You know, uh, the sun is good for you. The elites hate that. They want you to be indoors. That's why they locked us down. That's why they're constantly telling you to be indoors. That's why they say, wear sunscreen, right? <laughs> yeah. Stop the sun from, from, from touching your body. Put on sunscreens, put on sunblock. Block the sun. Wear sunglasses. Block the sun. You know, the sun is your enemy. And, uh, and, and stay indoors. Don't, don't go into the sun because you'll burn. And if you burn, you're going to get cancer. Mm. Uh, they, they don't want us being in nature, they don't like human nature. They don't like nature. And I think if you get caught up in the realm of, of binary thinking, you are falling into the trap of ignoring human nature. And if you get caught up in the trap of, of artificial, well, everything, uh, you, you, get, you, you miss out on the sun. It is extremely true what you're saying. If you are detached from nature, if you don't see birds, if you don't see the grass, if you don't see trees or animals and you spend a lot of time just on your phone on your devices virtual reality and you and you start admiring the beauty of nature oh look at this picture look how beautiful nature is but it, there it is right there but you're looking at it on your phone mm. i think that's where they want you they want you caught up in that in that thing and what's the next step will you put on those goggles and, uh, and before you know it, you're, you're living in a world nine hours a day behind goggles and your, and your skin is pale because it's got no sunshine on it. You're unhealthy and you have to take off the goggles to eat. You know? And at some point you're going to get, you're going you're gonna to end up with a system where you can wear the goggles and you'll have some sort of pipe connected to your arm so that you can get food, you know? <laughs> And that you'll have something connected to your, to your genitals so that you can pee. Mm. So that you don't have to take off the, the goggles. And at that point, I, I mean, at that point... You're the matrix. Yeah, at that point, just give up. You know, just like give up, throw, throw in the towel. Mm. You know? uh, let me tell you something quickly. I know that you're here, but you're not here for that long, so you must come back. You need to go, you need to, go to... I know you're at a game park, but that's not a game park. You need to go to a real game park. Go to Khalakhadi or Kruger National Park, the two, the two incredible parks that are here. And go camping. All right. Don't don't stay in a chalet. You know, sleep sleep in a tent or at least in a in a in a go glamping. You know, glamour camping. And just lie lie there at night under the stars and listen to the sounds. You know, uh, listen to the sounds of the animals and the birds and, and all that. Well, you won't, you won't hear the birds at night, but you know what I mean. You know, when we were in the desert a few months ago, my wife and I, 
We were, in the, we were in Kalahari, which is part of the Kalahari Desert, which is just north of South Africa, between Namibia, South Africa, and Botswana. It's very, very hot, very dry. And the animals there deserve, they deserve to be there because it's a hard, that's harsh. And we got woken up at about four in the morning by a lion. Uh, it was walking around our, our, our tents. Our, our tents uh, were... You could call them glam, glam tents. Okay, they were slightly, sl- slightly sturdier than the, than the normal tents, but those aligned nonetheless. And we had to put the day before we had to put these metal grids against the side of the car, uh, the four by four, because the lions come and they bite the tires, and so they pop them, and then you can't, you can't drive. That thing roared at four in the morning, and if you ever want to feel alive. That right there is the way to do it. There's nothing, there's nothing that I can explain to you that will make a sound like that go through your body and, and suddenly make you realize I'm living. It is the most powerful, intimidating sound. And I know that I've said that, that a man can't become a woman. However, <laughs> at four in the morning when a lion is close by and it roars, I can guarantee you you're going to become a woman. <laughs> Right, every every part of you that says I'm a male disappears. That thing is the point that I'm making is that the the elites don't want you to experience that. They don't want you. They want, you want you must look at it on a, on, a, on a screen. It's humbling, isn't it? It's, it is so humbling. You realize you also realize what's important to you yeah. just in those few moments, you know. And then the sun comes up, few, you know, an hour later, and you just look out, and it's just incredible beauty. That, for me, is one of the major essence of life and what you just said a moment ago about nature. That you don't, they want you in a city. How do you experience that in a city? You won't. No. So you think that it's part of the solution to... Nature? The, yeah. Yes. 100%. That's why I said to you earlier, before we were recording, that if you, wanted to, if you ever wanted to leave Europe... As crazy as it sounds, Africa is a good destination mm. because I think that Africa will outlast, will, will be buffered against due to a number of reasons. Agenda 2030 stuff, sustainable development will, will, will struggle, will struggle in many African countries. They just won't get it right for a long time to come. So while Europe is imploding, with its cultural wars and its climate wars and, and all, that so, all those sorts of things, you'll still, in Africa, you'll still know what a woman is. You'll still hear wild animals. You'll wake up to the sun. And, um, and despite the fact that infrastructure is broken all over the place, you'll still feel quite free. And alive, maybe. And alive, yeah. In its own way. But... You can't explain that unless you're here. Mm. It's very difficult to explain. There is, there is something about being here that is its own magic. And in no way, I'm, try, I'm not trying to make this place sound amazing. I'm not saying that at all. You know, it's difficult. I've been a victim of crime many times. I've got family members who've been murdered. Murdered, right? How often does that happen in Europe? It doesn't happen very often. You don't hear, I mean, have you got family members who've been murdered? Mm, no. Yeah. You said right at the beginning of the conversation that here, 
living here or being here is extremes. But that's the point. It's the extremes. And it's, and it's that moving around within those extremes that makes it, I think, exciting and you feel alive. And no, for those who are listening to me talking right now, no, there are no lions walking around outside, <laughs> right? It's not that bad here, okay? We're not, it's, not, it's not like that. No, the, the wild animals are in parks. Because <laughs> Americans like to think that we have elephants walking in the streets. Yeah. You know? Maybe a baboon. We definitely have those walking around. <laughs> you, you, here in Cape Town, you see lots of them. Mm. Yeah. But it's nice, eh? It's, it's, um, it's, what I, it's, it's what I've been thinking the last couple of weeks as well. The answer, the answer is, it's maybe cliche, but the answer is nature. And, and being in a country like South Africa, and it doesn't have to be South Africa, but being in a country like it, mm. it makes you feel what life is about. And it's not easy, but life, I think life isn't supposed to be easy. No, I don't think it's meant to be easy. And just going back to now, when my wife and I were in the, were in the Kalahari Desert, the story of the lion. You know, we were in a, we were obviously in, in a, in a so you have camps, obviously. You're mm. not just randomly sleeping somewhere. You're not, you, there are certain designated camps, but they don't have fences. That's why the lions and the animals can come into the campsites, which is why at night, you know, they have a, there's a ranger who stays there and he checks that everybody is inside because mm. that's when the animals, the, the nocturnal animals, particularly the lions yeah. and whatever, um, walk around. Uh, there is something spiritual that goes on there too. And you don't get that when you're so distracted by technology and, and Hollywood and internet and everything. You know, we were in this camp. It was full. And I think there was a grand total of six people. And that was considered full, right? There was no, no space for any more people there. It was us and then the six, so six of us and I think the ranger. And um, no cell phone signal either. Nothing. So we had like two or three days of just no cell phone signal at all. And it really, really tests you because you can't send a WhatsApp you know, or, or something. You can't check your email. And it shows you also, it, it makes you realize where we have arrived. Mm. And at four in the morning, you wake up to the sound of a lion. It's incredible. And then the sun starts coming up and then you, you make coffee and it's, there's no sound. And it forces you to contemplate yeah. life. Yeah, instantly. Yes. It forces you. you know, and you see some animals walking around. They're coming to drink water and that sort of thing. And in that moment, you, you realize, okay, what is really the meaning of life here? And do... Is, Am I just a random result of stardust? Or is, it, is there something bigger going on here? But you don't experience that when you're constantly stuck in traffic and noise of the city and, and, and the, 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 that bell of those trams that you keep hearing in Amsterdam, mm. that sound, which is normal if you live there, but was completely abnormal for me. Mm. I, I, had to get, I kept hearing this bell, that's that bell sound all the time, yeah. like every 30 seconds. You know, um, and in all that noise, you 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 you're not contemplating life. No. You're not contemplating what's important. You're just basically you're just churning the cogs of the machine, mm. and that's where they want you. And then they make it more busy, and they keep bringing in more stuff. And then they 
enclose it as a 15-minute city and then they bring in digital ID and everything's digital, digital, digital. And then you have no idea what the sound of a lion is, you know, in a short, in a short space of time and you don't know what it's like to feel the sun coming up and having no sound or distractions. And that's, what I'm, that's, that's essentially what I'm saying, the, the, the meaning and the beauty. And I think that right there is something that, that the elites hate. Mm. So the solution for everything. Thank you very much, man. I think uh, there's no better way to close off this, uh, this conversation in this podcast, eh? It's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, man. And uh, we'll keep following you, eh? Uh, and I'll keep following you. Nice. Sounds all, sounds all uh, creepy, but uh, we'll, we'll follow each other. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you guys for watching and sharing and um, see you guys soon again. Ciao.